I think it's necessary. It has to be done. It's going to be hard for the neighborhood. The partial closures begin along First Avenue, just the start of a long, hot, frustrating shutdown. This accident that happened yesterday should have never happened. A man is hit and killed by a train after his wheelchair is stuck on the tracks. This is the alleyway. The alleyway is And flash flooding overwhelms a town in Maryland. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Glad you could join us tonight. We begin with breaking news a small oil spill in BC involving the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Kinder Morgan confirms there was a spill at its Darfield pump station north of Kamloops near Barrier, discovered by Trans Mountain's internal safety systems. The Environment Ministry says about 100 litres of crude oil leaked into the ground. They say none of it got into waterways and the pipeline was shut down while crews cleaned it up. This incident comes just days before Kinder Morgan's May 31st deadline for getting assurances it can proceed with a planned expansion of the pipeline without any further delays. The controversial project has been met with years of protest. The patience of tens of thousands of people is being sorely tested this spring as partial closures have begun along First Avenue in Vancouver. And it's only going to get worse later this summer. Our Paul Johnson joins us now from First Avenue with more on the impact of the closures. Paul, why is it being closed? Uh, Jeff, this is a big project that's being done by Fortis, and uh, tomorrow morning's rush hour is going to be the first one that's going to be affected by these closures. So if you are a regular commuter in Vancouver, or even if you just sporadically travel across the city, you are going to want to pay very close attention to what's happening in this part of Vancouver. So currently, the two eastbound lanes of First Avenue between Nanaimo and Rupert are entirely closed off. And for the westbound lanes, one of those has been turned over to eastbound traffic. So even going west, you're going to see reduced capacity there. This closure is going to be in effect through June. But once they've finished here, the project's going to move further west, and that's going to mean closures around the Commercial Drive area, one of the city's most popular neighborhoods. And that's going to last well into the summer. Residents and businesses on the drive are already telling us they're getting ready. I think it's going to be tough for businesses, especially things like Italian Day, where it's so much of like the pedestrians and car-free day. Um, people probably won't come as far this way. Um, it's like a walking neighborhood, so it might cut down on that. Um, I think it's necessary. It has to be done. It's going to be hard for the neighborhood, but it's now or it's two years from now. So just minimizing impact on the neighborhood. Everybody's questioning this and nobody really knows what's going to be. I, uh, it's going to be great inconvenience for everybody, for the businesses and everybody else. But I guess it has to be done, so there's no, there's no around it, really. But I, I cannot imagine people not being able to cross First Avenue at all. They must have some sort of access of crossing. So your other east-west options in this part of Vancouver at this point are Broadway or Hastings. But if you've traveled along either of those streets in rush hour, you know they're already at or beyond capacity. So there's really no good options here. This is a good time as any to start exploring transit options in Vancouver. This is a project, again, it's being done by Fortis. They're looking to expand and upgrade their natural gas delivery service in this part of the city. It's really one of those 
unavoidable growing pains of living in a region that's growing as fast as the lower mainland. Jeff? Thank you, Paul. That is Paul Johnson for us in Vancouver. Now to a tragic and sudden loss in the Fraser Valley. Friends and family of a Chilliwack man are in mourning after he was hit by a train and killed. Matthew Jarvis ended up in a wheelchair after surviving two other crashes, but somehow that chair got stuck on the tracks yesterday and he couldn't be saved despite the efforts of two bystanders. My kids no longer have their father because of a senseless accident that can be prevented. Valerie Schneider never thought her longtime partner's life would end just steps from their home. Matthew Jarvis was returning from 7-Eleven early Saturday evening when his wheelchair became stuck on the train tracks at Broadway Street in Chilliwack. Witnesses say two women jumped from their vehicles to try and free him before the freight train hit, but it was too late. These angels that tried to help him off the train tracks because his wheels were stuck. I thank you. I don't know who you are, but I thank you that you were there with him and he didn't have to die alone. Jarvis had already been through hell and back. In January 2017, he hit black ice while driving north of Kamloops and was thrown from his vehicle after it went down a nine-meter embankment. Left paraplegic, he vowed to walk again. Last November, he was hit in a crosswalk. To us, he was a survivor. There was nothing he could do that he couldn't beat. Everything he's done, everything that people remember, he's just an incredibly strong human being to have gone through everything that he did and, and then to make it through, and this is just too much. Jarvis had just enrolled in university and was eager to upgrade his life skills when a trip to the store ended in tragedy. His friends and family say they'll fight for safety improvements at railway crossings, including overpasses and smoother surfaces. CN says the status of the crossing and its surface will be part of their investigation. There's got to be a way that these conductors can see that somebody is on the tracks and they can stop that train well in advance so that this never happens to Matthew or anybody again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Highway 1 near Bridal Falls finally fully reopened to traffic late last night, 12 hours after a deadly crash. One person in a westbound vehicle was killed after a driver heading east crossed the center line. Emergency Health Services says two other people were sent to hospital in critical condition. So far, there's no word on what caused the crash. And the VPD is looking for witnesses and dash cam video in their investigation into the city's fourth fatal pedestrian crash of the year. Just after 3 o'clock this morning, a 25-year-old Vancouver man was struck by an SUV while crossing Camby Street mid-block between West 19th and 20th Avenues. He was rushed to hospital but did not survive. The driver, a 39-year-old Richmond woman, is cooperating and police say impairment does not appear to be a factor. In Langley, police are investigating after shots were fired at a house. Officers were called to the Walnut Grove home on 215 B Street early this morning. At least one bullet hole was found in the garage door. Police say no one was hurt. The home appears to have multiple security cameras monitoring the property. Now to another oil spill, one that happened three years ago. The city of Vancouver is still battling to recover cleanup costs after thousands of litres of bunker fuel leaked into English Bay. 
As Grace Key reports, the city has now filed a claim against the owners of the MV Maritasa, trying to get back more than half a million dollars spent in response efforts. It's been three years since the Marathasa spilled 2,700 liters of bunker fuel into English Bay. Since then, the city of Vancouver has been fighting to recoup about $550,000 in costs related to the spill. The federal government's Ship Source Oil Pollution Fund has offered 27% in compensation for the city, and Mayor Gregor Robertson says that's unacceptable. A system right now does not work. It does not actually go after the ship owners and get the full compensation for the costs. Is a sign of uh, material that's come ashore and, and settled down. So the city is taking the owners of the Marathasa to court. The ship was registered in Cyprus. In April, the city filed a claim in federal court against the owners for damages. The mayor is saying this is yet another reason why the city is against the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. And here we have a clear example of an oil spill, a small oil spill relative to Kinder Morgan scale. This is a tiny fraction of what could spill. And we can't get back the, the half a million dollars that we've put forward on taxpayers' uh, money to deal with the oil spill uh, mess. The fuel contaminated several beaches along English Bay and the Burrard Inlet with the cleanup and response lasting 16 days. The federal government needs to step up and take responsibility for their jurisdictions. We cannot wait for a major oil spill to harm our beaches, to harm our parks, to harm our environment. The Ship Source Oil Pollution Fund is created from levees collected from oil cargo ships. The system is designed to cover the risk of non-payment by the ship owner who is responsible for pollution. The fund has disputed some of the city's claims for compensation. Grace Key, Global News. A protest was held in Montreal today against the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Hundreds gathering in the city's west end to voice their opposition. While the pipeline would not extend to Quebec, demonstrators came out in solidarity with the B.C. NDP government and indigenous groups who oppose the project. The group is urging the federal government to transition towards green energy sources rather than pushing B.C. to utilize a pipeline it's not interested in. More details tonight on the new doctors the province will be trying to bring in as part of a three-year plan to overhaul the health care system. BC says it will be recruiting 200 nurse practitioners and 200 family doctors to address the gap in primary care. New graduates and residents of family medicine will be offered positions through team-based practices and alternative payment arrangements. Instead of the traditional fee-for-service plan, it's hoped new doctors can gain experience from healthcare professionals while receiving a good salary to offset any student debt. But I'm optimistic that working in teams, that teams of... Uh, uh, doctors, of nurse practitioners, of registered nurses, of other health professionals working together can provide better care. And when we talk to doctors, both uh, doctors who've been in the system a long time and, uh, and younger doctors, this is what the vision that they have as well. Starting a practice right after residency is difficult. You have to find your patients, you have to set up your own practice, find a medical office assistant and uh, build a practice from scratch. That's difficult. I think Things like this where it's a collaborative approach, working with other colleagues, uh, your allied healthcare professionals, your nurse practitioners, and your mentors uh, in family medicine, already staff physicians to work together in a team-based environment, I think is really exciting. Welcome back. Hundreds of homeowners in Vancouver Point Grey rallying this afternoon against a contentious school tax. That was ahead of a meeting this afternoon with the riding's MLA, David Eby, on the issue. 
As Tanya Beja reports, it comes weeks after EB canceled another town hall because of safety concerns. The government enriches themselves and everyone is poor. Emotions are high as opponents of the province's school tax speak out in West Point Grey. You have no rights. This lady just says, I have no rights. The few supporters in the crowd find themselves in hostile territory. Divisions run deep as Vancouver homeowners plead with the province to reconsider the increased tax on properties worth more than $3 million. And if you have to tax... Why not increase everyone's income tax by this much? Many here say they bought their homes before the city's real estate market exploded and will be stuck with a bill they can't afford. I just think the tax is unfair and uh, I'm not prepared to pay tax on money I don't have. Properties have gone up in value through no fault of our own and we're being, uh, we're being victimized for it. Our tax uh, has gone from around $1,500 to 18000 last year. This year, the tax is going to go up to $32,000. At a meeting organized by the West Point Grey Residents Association, more than 500 constituents are grilling Attorney General David Eby. The first chance to face their MLA after a town hall meeting was cancelled earlier this month due to security concerns. I hope that Mr. Eby in particular pays attention to his constituents because we are saying loud and clear that this is not okay. The tax is part of government's fiscal plan and government is investing in things like schools and healthcare and other initiatives to make life better for British Columbians and we're going to continue to do that. We do need the revenue to supply these services but at the same time it's got to be fair and it's got to be equal and people have to buy into it. Only a few at this meeting are. I thought that was a pretty fair way to raise some revenue and perhaps even maybe cool the market a little bit and make life less unpleasant for those who are on the really the losing end of this, this property situation. EB will face his constituents again at a town hall meeting next month. Tanya Beja, Global News. And it will be a rather busy week in B.C. politics as the provincial government and others get set to make a number of key announcements. Our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now to break it all down. Keith, what are you expecting? Yeah, this is the time of year, Jeff. You expect things to slow down on the political scene, but uh, quite the opposite. We're in for a very busy week on a number of fronts, starting tomorrow morning uh, with the release of a, a Greater Vancouver Board of Trade uh, survey of the member businesses about the payroll tax. I, I assume there's going to be a lot of uh, stats in there that show small businesses are going to pay a lot of money with this new tax. Uh, but that's on Monday. On Wednesday, we're going to get this uh, long-awaited report from Attorney General David Eby on the proposed shift to the proportional representation model for electing governments. Uh, he, he told me last week it's going to include the question that's going to be on the ballot or potentially the questions, plural. Uh, also that day, finance minister, Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau is expected to deliver a key address to a Calgary business audience where he'll touch on energy issues, including that Kinder Morgan pipeline, uh, which of course is timely because on Thursday we have the Kinder Morgan pipeline decision day. That's the deadline Kinder Morgan set, the so-called drop dead day, whether or not they'll stay in the game and build the pipeline or walk away because they're frustrated with delays. And again, whether Morneau will announce that uh, he's secured private investors to uh, invest in that pipeline and see it built if Kinder Morgan does indeed walk away. But a busy week, Jeff. And again, this is a time of year politicians and governments usually have their minds on barbecues rather than politics. Uh, but that's not going to be the case for at least a little while yet. Yeah, that's right, Keith. Uh, one more key announcement we were expecting, perhaps a big report into money laundering. Any chance of that happening this week? 
Yeah, you know, I talked to David Eby about that last week, and he, d- he did say he wants to get that report out before the end of the legislative session, which ends on Thursday. But he says it might take a little longer than that. Uh, next week, at the very latest, he, s- he says, but it's a v- very voluminous report, a lot of pages and a lot of names in it. And they have to get legal permission, I think, to include a lot of people's names in that report. That's why it's taking so long uh, from uh, uh, noted expert Peter German, former RCMP uh, uh, head, who's uh, commis- uh, conducting this investigation into money laundering, not just to casinos, but real estate, high-end automobile purchases and the like. And that's going to be newsworthy as well when it drops either this week or next. All right. Thank you, Keith. That is Keith Baldry for us in Victoria. Fire crews across the province keeping up the fight this weekend to contain a number of significant fires. In the southern interior, the Alley Lake Fire is more than 2,000 hectares in size. Today, the fire has been moving away from Alley Lake, but winds are expected to shift in different directions tonight and tomorrow. Recreation sites in the area have been closed. Near Merritt, the Chataway Lake fire has broken out today. It's estimated at 8 hectares. A large column of smoke can be seen from Merritt, the Coquihalla Highway even from Kamloops. And west of Lillooet, near Anderson Lake, the Husham Creek fire is about 500 hectares. The BC Wildfire Service says it's now about 25% contained. Fire crews in the southern interior are hoping a possible change in the weather in the coming days will help their fight. There is a, a, some potential uh, relief on the horizon. Uh, it looks like Wednesday, uh, the southern part of the province, southern half of the province is going to get a fairly good soaking of rain. Uh, that will get us a bit of relief, but uh, June is typically a fairly wet month. So we really are going to have to uh, monitor day by day in terms of how much rain we get you know, between now and Canada Day. That's going to have a big effect not only on the current situation, but also what the rest of the summer looks like. And in northeastern B.C., an evacuation order issued last night by the Peace River Regional District because of the Tommy Lakes fire. It is said to be 20,000 hectares in size and was sparked by lightning. A reception center for evacuees has been set up at the Pomeroy Sports Center in Fort St. John. In Kelowna, the current weather conditions have pushed the fire danger rating into the high category. An example of that was seen just last night. A grass fire rapidly spread toward the popular Mission Hill Winery. Global Okanagan's Jules Knox reports on why the fire is considered suspicious. Crackling flames quickly creeping up this slope on Saturday night, prompting the evacuation of Mission Hill Winery and 40 to 50 homes. Uh, We had like uh, two minutes and we had to get out. There wasn't much time to think. I thought, well, let's get rid of that, take the cars and that's it. So uh, everything's in the house. So it's uh, what we call a tactical evacuation. It means the people needed to leave right now, uh, no notice, and those are very scary uh, for the people involved. The fire started around 7 at night. Crews battling difficult conditions. And just when we thought we uh, you know, could get in a position where we could fight the fire, uh, the wind would carry it further up the hill. And also uh, just the access to the area. There are very limited roads there and uh, no water supply, so we had to lay out a, a hose line from top to bottom. Smoke filled the valley below. Water bombers could be seen circling the fire, but decided drops were not necessary. However, having them in the air above the fire uh, was not only, uh, you know, gave me some peace of mind, but they were able to send pitchers down to the ground, and, and that makes a big difference for us. Evacuated residents could return to their homes around 11 on Saturday night, but bright orange flames could still be seen dotting the hillside. Crews were on scene overnight, but say the fire didn't grow. They put a wet line around the perimeter of the five-hectare fire and then spent most of Sunday putting out hot spots. 
The winery reopened. Bills suggesting business as usual. Very peaceful. A little bit of a burnt smell in the air, though, but uh, everything looks wonderful otherwise. The fire appears to have started off a trail above Boucherie Road, and the fire chief says there were signs of campfires and garbage in the area. The exact cause could not be determined, but it is considered suspicious, and police continue to investigate. Jules Knox, Global News, West Kelowna. More than 3,000 people joined the annual MS Walk today in Vancouver. Participants could do a two- or five-kilometer route from Concord Pacific Place along the seawall. Canada has the highest rate of multiple sclerosis in the world. And organizers hope the fundraiser will help change the lives of Canadians living with MS by funding much-needed research. Right here, I mean, you can see this. This is the alleyway. The alleyway is turning. Powerful flash floods surged through a Maryland city near Baltimore this afternoon. You can see heavy rain turning streets into turbulent rivers, forcing emergency responders to do rapid rescues. More than 150 millimeters of rain fell in just four hours. The raging water engulfed cars and rose above the first floor of some buildings. Ellicott City was hit by similar devastation in 2016 in what emergency officials called a once-in-a-thousand-years flood. Some residents speaking to media say today's flooding appears to be worse than that. And in the Gulf Coast, states of emergency stretch from Florida to Mississippi. Alberto, the first-named tropical storm of the season, is expected to make landfall on the Florida panhandle early tomorrow with heavy rain and winds. And as Maya Rodriguez reports, more than 20 million Americans are in its path. Subtropical storm Alberto slammed into Cuba. Four and a half inches of rain fell there in less than eight hours. Now the storm threatens the Gulf Coast. This is going to be a storm that, that will affect us. Uh, sustained tropical storm force winds are dangerous. Along with the winds, lots of rain, up to 12 inches across Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi. States of emergency have been declared in all three states. The big thing is down here, everybody's got to watch. These things are unpredictable. Residents in the Florida panhandle are preparing for the worst. I am filling up sandbags to hopefully keep the rainwater from coming in my front door. Beaches that would usually be packed for Memorial Day weekend are nearly empty. You just never know with Mother Nature. After the storm makes landfall, it's expected to move across the south. Dan Shenneman, NBC News. That was Dan, not Maya. Just three days after the U.S. president called off that historic sit-down with Kim Jong-un, a face-to-face with the North Korean dictator is looking a lot more likely. The news comes just a day after South Korea's president met with Kim Jong-un at a surprise meeting. The U.S. team is reportedly being led by former South Korean ambassador Soon Kim, who serves as a nuclear negotiator with the North. If it happens, the summit will be held on June 12th in Singapore. The death of a baby in Nashville, Tennessee, is drawing attention to a problem that keeps taking young lives, children being left in hot cars. As Kerry Sanders of NBC News reports, some parents are just not aware of how quickly a car can become dangerously hot. In Nashville, a family in mourning after their one-year-old baby girl died on Wednesday. 
Her father tells police he accidentally left her in the backseat of his truck while temperatures outdoors exceeded 85 degrees. It is the seventh hot car death this year. Last year, 43 children died in hot car deaths. Leland Jacobson knows that pain all too well. It's the worst day of my life. Six years ago, he forgot his seven-month-old son, Luke, in the backseat of their car. Well, I mean, there's not a day that goes by I don't think of, of Luke. Jacobson now on a mission. Because people will easily dismiss that can never happen to me. That, that happens to bad parents. It can happen to anyone. And I, I didn't believe that before probably either. But uh, it can't. And it's not just a case of parking in the direct sun. Researchers at Arizona State and the University of California, San Diego, discovered in tests, parking in the shade can be just as deadly. The idea that because I've parked the car in the shade, I'm safe, it's okay, is not really the case. In the sun, when the outside temperature is over 100 degrees, the thermometer inside hits an average of 116, seats 123 degrees, the steering wheel 127, and the dashboard averaged 157 degrees, hot enough to cause third-degree burns if a child touched it, all in just 60 minutes. In the shade, a car or van still turns into an oven. It just takes longer to heat up. Even with some car companies now installing technology to remind parents, Jacobson says... Always check the back seat. Tragic loss he hopes no one else ever experiences. Kerry Sanders, NBC News, Miami. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Tens of thousands of lightning strikes hit the UK overnight and disrupted hundreds of flights out of a London airport today. Meteorologists say a powerful thunderstorm sparked between 15,000 and 20,000 strikes across the country. One of those strikes disabled an aircraft refueling system at Stansted Airport. More than 200 flights were delayed. Another 49 were cancelled. It's a busy travel time right now. Britain is in the middle of a long weekend and many school children are on half-term break this coming week. Not much lightning in our forecast. Mm -hmm. Not much out there today, Yvonne? No, a uh, very uh, b beautiful forecast today. The picture here for us uh, with plenty of sunshine. Overlooking the North Shore Mountains right now, uh, temperatures will remain dry, especially for the evening and over the next little while. But there is a change on the way and a much-needed reprieve for the interior. And I'll outline that in just a moment. We're sitting at 21 degrees. The high today was closer to 22 for most areas. Above the average for this time of the year of 18. And a record of 26 degrees was set back in. 2005. 24 is the high today for Williams Lake Trail up to 30 degrees. The Soyuz today 29. Lillooet at 26 and Victoria climbing up to 24. Current temperature for North Van at 22. Coquitlam at 22 as well. Burnaby at 23. Surrey currently sitting at 24 degrees. Most areas near White Rock at 20. Abbotsford at 22 and Chilliwack currently at 23 degrees. Williams Lake is still at 24 with your current temperature at the piece at 16. Prince Rupert at 10. And good evening into Tofino with your current temperature at 14 degrees. Most of the moisture across the province has been across the north. We still have a rainfall warning in effect. The north coast has seen anywhere between 40 and up to 50 millimeters with an additional 10 millimeters of rainfall this evening before it eases off. But still a chance of showers or light rainfall throughout much of the day for tomorrow. Here's what we are looking at. Still a close eye on the, on the number of fires. There's three current fires of note. Alley Lake, Husham Creek, as well as Tommy 
links. Here's what we are seeing in terms of the upper level chart. A nice reprieve is on the way as the ridge starts to break down. This will be on Tuesday and leading in towards Wednesday. And late day on Tuesday, we're hoping to see a bit of moisture pushing into the region and continuing that on our Friday, Wednesday. rather. Here's the future cast with most of the moisture easing off across the north coast and pushing ahead towards Tuesday with that increase in cloud cover and a chance for some showers. Temperatures are going to drop off on Tuesday down to 19 for most areas into the Okanagan. Wednesday should remain cool as well. This is just one of the temperature trends. For the piece, we're up to 16 tomorrow. The winds at times gusting up to 70 kilometers per hour. A much calmer day will be on your Tuesday with a high of 18 and plenty of sunshine. Whitehorse at 13, a southerly wind up to 30 kilometers per hour. Coastal sections, so the rainfall will start to ease off, but we're still looking at a chance of showers tomorrow on 11 degrees. Caribou in central interior, westerly wind tomorrow sustained at 20 with a gust of up to 40 kilometers per hour, a high of 14 underneath a mix of sun and cloud. Columbia and Kootenai region, a slight risk of a thunderstorm and a slight chance for an isolated shower with temperatures still hot at 30 degrees. Thompson, Okanagan at 26, a southwesterly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. Whistler will be closer to 19, dropping off with a chance of showers Tuesday, Wednesday. Across the island, still more cloud cover for northern and western sections. Most southern and eastern sections will be underneath that sunshine. We've got sunshine for tomorrow tomorrow. Tomorrow, high of 20 degrees, an increase in cloud cover. And a change on the way will be Tuesday into Wednesday. Cooler temperatures on Wednesday with 16, but tomorrow with that sunshine, still up to 20 degrees. Jeff? Thanks, Yvonne. The fatal Humboldt Broncos bus crash has impacted the lives of many Canadians. For one Ontario man, his journey to healing got him up on his two feet and on a 1,200-kilometer trek to Humboldt. After a 48-day journey, Rance Cardinal has reached his destination. After walking more than a thousand kilometers across three provinces, Cardinal has made it to Humboldt, the Saskatchewan community and his family welcoming him at the finish line. We did it. (laughs) There's no feelings. I can't explain, but we did it. The 24-year-old started his journey in Ontario and set his sights on Humboldt after the Broncos bus crash on April 6th, which claimed the lives of 16 people and injured 13 others. Everybody's doing their part and, you know, I, I felt like the best way to show my part and show healing would be, you know, like walking. So it didn't matter how far it was, I just had in my mind, I'm going to get there. Cardinal said the trip made him stronger, both mentally and physically, with each step helping him heal through his own loss. Ever since I lost my brother for five years, I've been not clearly myself, you know. Um, but ever since I passed the Saskatchewan border, I found Rance Cardinal again. And the community joining in on his journey, walking together on the last stretch through Humboldt. To see him do those fist pumps and those yas, and uh, it's just awesome. It just brings a whole spirit, brings everybody together like this. Uh, Just an amazing thing that he's done. He is just honestly genuine, and I just love how he's brought the whole community, our, uh, our country, our world together. I look at this as moving forward as a part of the healing journey that Humboldt requires. Now Cardinal completed his journey here at the Elgar-Peterson Arena and that was followed by a ceremony. As for what's next for Cardinal, he says he plans to spend the next three days here in Humboldt before driving home. Rebecca Lesko, Global News. 
For over three decades, Miracle Weekend has been helping BC kids grow, grow a foundation, grow a community, and grow a legacy of hope. Join us for Miracle Weekend, June 2nd and 3rd on Global BC. All right, welcome back. Barry is here with sports and uh, one guy just carrying his team on his back this year. Yeah, I tell you, LeBron has been LeBron incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of, you know, he, maybe you say it too much, but I think we take this guy for granted, but he's, mm-hmm. he's just been awesome. One of the great athletes, not only in basketball, of course, but I think in any sport right now on the planet. Thanks very much, Jeff. Uh, LeBron James has been great for so long. Sometimes maybe you take those incredible talents for granted, but this year at age 33, LeBron has taken it up another notch. He's had little or no help from his supporting cast for a lot of the playoffs. And Kevin Love is not playing tonight because of a concussion. So LeBron has literally put the Cavaliers on his back to get them to a Game 7 tonight in Boston. LeBron has won his last five Game 7s, averaging over 34 points per game. But he has to be nearing exhaustion. This is game number 100 for James, the most he's ever played in a season. And the Celtics have been absolutely... Tough at home. Perfect this year. 10-0 in the postseason. First quarter, LeBron hustling hard on defense. Goes for the steal. Ends up doing some crowd surfing there around the uh, court. But he was all right. Meanwhile, rookie Jason Tatum or with a uh, aggressive move to the basket to give Boston the lead. But LeBron answers so strong. Drives three Celtics around him. Manages to power his way. Not the basket and the foul. And Cleveland's got its first lead, 16-15. LeBron, 12 of their 16 points. Jalen Brown, though, answers for Boston with the three. Celtics by eight after one. Second quarter, Boston going inside to Al Horford. Bit of a mismatch in there with the love out of the game. Boston led by 12 at one point, but LeBron finally getting some help. Drives, kicks out to J.R. Smith for the three. And it's a close game right now, 43-39 Boston at the half. All right, the Memorial Cup going on in Regina. The host Pats taking on the Quebec champions from Acadie Bathurst, the Teton. And Acadie Bathurst breaks the ice. Adam Holwell will find room there to make it one nothing after 20. Acadie Bathurst dominated the second. They were all over the Pats, but Regina goalie Max Paddock, who's the nephew of head coach John Paddock, was spectacular. Made a number of huge stops to keep it one nothing. Regina didn't even have a shot midway through the period, but they did get a great chance late in the second. Their captain, Sam Steele, the Jared Legion, beats the goalie but can't beat the pipe. one nothing after two right now. 2 nothing. Acadie Bathurst late in the third. CFL preseason, Eskimos and Rough Riders from Edmonton. Mike Riley only played the first quarter, but he led the Eskimos to two touchdown drives. The second on this 20-yard strike to Duke Williams. Riley looking sharp early. 14-0 Edmonton. Late first half now. Shaq Cooper going to score on the touchdown run. 21-9 Edmonton. And then in the third, the Eskimos will strike again on the ground. This time, Jordan Robinson up the gut. 37 yards for the TD. 35-12. Edmonton wins their preseason opener. The Lions' first preseason game is this coming Friday in Calgary. Final round of the Fort Worth Invitational from Colonial. Justin Rose with a nice cushion. Starts the day with a four-shot lead. Two Canadians had a good weekend. Corey Connors... Out of the bunker there, tapped that in for birdie, tied for eighth at nine under. Ben Silverman from Ontario, just like Connors, finished 11th at minus eight. 
But Rose kind of took the drama out of this thing early. Birdies the fifth, gets to 16 under. Brooks Kepka tried to keep pace from the bunker. No putter required there. Six under, eight under 62 rather for Kepka, but that was only good enough for second place. Rose third shot in the par five, 11th. Sticks this one close. Three feet away is seventh birdie of the round already in 11 holes. Then at 15 from 26 feet out, another Justin birdie, Justin Rose birdie rather. He finishes at minus 20, just one off the tournament record. Three shot win over Kepka. Rose's second win of the season, ninth on the PGA Tour. Adam Hadwin finished 52nd, 17 shots behind Rose. Baseball today, Jays in Philadelphia. Phillies leading the NL East. Jays have struggled, I'd say, for a good month or so after such a promising start, but got some good work from starter Jay Happ, who went six and two-thirds, eight strikeouts. That's been a rarity. The Jays starters have uh, kind of dropped the ball, so to speak, the last month. Got some run support. Dwight Smith Jr. lashes one inside the third base bag. Clutch two out hit, scores a pair. Jays took a 4 nothing lead. Phillies cut that to 4-3, but in the ninth, the veteran Curtis Granderson provides some insurance. Solo homer to right is fourth of the year, and the Jays take it 5-3. They take the series two out of three from the Phillies this weekend, so maybe a turnaround for Toronto. Join us on Global for the annual BC Children's Hospital Miracle Weekend. The two-day celebration will showcase the best of Children's Hospital and the fundraising efforts undertaken throughout the year. Details at MiracleWeekend.com. Les Miserables returns to Vancouver. The Tony Award-winning musical phenomenon will be at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre from July 10th to 15th. Tickets at BroadwayAcrossCanada.ca. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. Our BC is brought to you by Alpine Credits. Own your own home and need a loan? Get approved in less than 24 hours at alpinecredits.ca. Welcome back, everyone. The second Grand Slam of the tennis season is underway in Paris, and Canadian fans have to be excited about Denis Shapovalov. He is seated for the first time in a major. He's the number 24 at Roland Garros. The just-turned-19-year-old has had two strong outings on the red clay, including a semi-final appearance at Madrid. Shapovalov's first-round match isn't until Tuesday. Vancouver's Vasek Pospisil will also play his first match Tuesday. Of course, Milos Raonic is not playing. He pulled out last week with more injury issues. First day of action saw 37-year-old Venus Williams meet Wang Jiang of China. Venus the nine seed, but Wang with the winner down the line, won the first set 6-3, went up 3-love in the second. Wang had never beaten Williams before. Venus actually knocked her out of two Grand Slams last year, the French and Wimbledon, but it was a different story today. As uh, Wang Jiang knocks off Venus 6-4, 7-5. Venus out in the first round. Lost in the first round in Australia as well. So not a good start to the Grand Slam season for Venus. Another American, Sloan Stevens, the reigning U.S. Open champ. Hasn't done much at the majors since then. Went down in the opening round of the Aussie. But seems to have her game today. Taking on Arancha Rus. Takes the opening set 6-2. And then... Pitched the shutout in the second set as Sloane Stevens needed less than an hour for her straight set victory. 6-2 and 6-love. So she moves on to the second round on the men's side. Number two seed Alex Zverev advanced on as well. Drivers, start your engine! 
The granddaddy of motorsport, the Indy 500, Ed Carpenter starting from the pole. The final race of Danica Patrick's career, and unfortunately for her, she crashed out of the race on lap 68, hits the wall. This is the end of Danica's career, just one career open wheel victory for her. It was a hot track, 130 Fahrenheit, led to traction issues for many drivers. Four-time Indy Series champ Sebastian Bourdais just loses control. He's out. Same story for three-time winner Helio Castroneves, just loses control and crashes out. But he was okay. There were seven cautions in the race, but... No injuries, thankfully. Four laps to go. Stefan Wilson with the lead. He's got to be excited, but forced to get fuel. Has to pit. Actually, the top two going for fuel, allowing Will Power to take the lead. Looking for his first ever Indy. His wife, Liz Power, can't contain her excitement or anxiety. Final lap, Power still in front. Takes the checkered flag. First Indy win in 11 tries, and uh, his wife's reaction is priceless. Power, 34 career IndyCar wins, but this one had always eluded him. Until now, he's the champ, gets the ceremonial milk, and the celebration is on for Will Power, winner of the Indy 500. Formula One stop is the Monaco Grand Prix on the French Riviera. You sense there could be some wealth in the region uh, with those yachts. Canadian Lance Stroll in a bit of trouble early in this one. Takes some contact and then also rubs the wall. Front end damage for Stroll. He would have to go in to get repairs and he would end up in 16th place in the field of 20. The biggest crash of the day, Charles Leclerc drives right through Brendan Hartley of New Zealand. Both were okay, but both were uh, definitely out of the race. Aussie Daniel Ricciardo led wire to wire. It was a tough day for all the drivers. The tires not holding up on the Monaco track. Ricardo won despite battling a lack of power the majority of the race, but he gets the win and leads the champagne spring afterwards. You sense in Monaco there could be, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, very expensive champagne. Yeah, it's well, it's not, it's not milk. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not milk. <laughs> All right, federal politicians and journalists got a few digs into each other at the annual parliamentary press gallery dinner last night. There was even some Bangra dancing. Have a look. That was Global National's David Aiken showing off his dance moves along with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. It was one of several skits throughout the evening. The Prime Minister, of course, targeted by many of the jokes, especially his ill-fated trip to India. Justin Trudeau, though, took it all in stride. There's Andrew Shear. He even poked some fun at himself. And so thank you very much, everyone. That's it in terms of this year. Nothing else happened. Nothing at all. We didn't go to India. (laughs) Here I am, meeting Bollywood star Shah Rukh Khan. And wow, one of us is seriously underdressed. How embarrassing for him. (laughs) That's good to maintain a sense of humor, isn't it? Can't take ourselves too seriously, can we? No, it's good. All right, quick weather? Um, A nice day tomorrow. We are going to see a reprieve on Tuesday, Wednesday for the interior. Cooler temperatures and some wet weather, too. That will be welcome. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.